In this episode, I sit down with Akshay Nanavati to talk about how you can use fear to improve the quality of your life. Get ready, because you are now listening to Tiny Leaps, Big Change, Big Change, Big Change. Welcome to another episode of Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, where I share simple strategies you can use to get more out of your life. My guest today is uh, someone I, I met at a conference I was recently at. I was down in Orlando. I attended PodFest 2018, and he was one of the keynote speakers. And I've got to say, I was just blown away with so much about him. Now, the, the topic that he spoke about was really more about getting featured in the media. But you could tell there was this underlying tone of, of what he was really passionate about. The thing he cared most about was helping people navigate their fear and how to actually use that as a weapon to create the life you want. So naturally, being the curious person that I am, I made sure I reached out to him at that event, made sure I connected with him, spoke with him. He was kind enough to give me a copy of his book, Fearvana. And, uh, I'm super, super excited to really dive into his process and learn more about how we can use fear because that's the number one thing that holds people back. So without further ado, Akshay, how are you doing, man? Doing very well. Thank you so much for having me on the show, man. Absolutely. So the book is called Fearvana, um, the revolutionary science of how to turn fear into health, wealth, and happiness. I always like to start these interviews with uh, what I think is the most interesting question, which for you, I I have to say, um, how the heck did you get the Dalai Lama to write <laughs> your, your foreword? <laughs> yeah, that was an amazing honor and just blessing, as you can imagine, through actually navigating a lot of fears and self-doubt and belief. It was amazing. So, I mean, what happened was when I wrote the book, you know, I knew I wanted about 15 to 20 endorsements from people whose lives that, it, that I mean, people whose, you know, whose work had really impacted me, but also people whose name would obviously add to the credibility of the book. And I remember at one point thinking it'd be cool to have the Dalai Lama endorse it. But then I was like, there's no way, like, I'm not famous. I didn't have a platform or a website or anything at the time. And I was like, why would he endorse my book? And as, and as endorsements started coming in, it kind of like up level my confidence that, okay, you know, you find little victories, ups your confidence. And I remember asking myself, like, why not? What's the harm in trying? What's the worst that'll happen? You'll get a no, right? So I reached out to his office, which got me nowhere, did tons of research, found one point of contact in his office there, reached out to him, shot a personal video for him, shooting personal videos, game-changing strategy, by the way, in terms of connecting with anyone. And that's how I got a ton of ton of uh, endorsements that I got, which from many other amazing people as well. So shot a personal video for him, connected me to three other people. Eventually, I got to the right monk in his office. And after about four to five months of communicating with this gentleman there, going through, and I am kid you not, a lot of fears went through moments where they thought, oh, they probably don't like my book. They think it's garbage. It's not 
going to happen is never like just all that stuff in your head <laughs> and went through that. But four to five months of, you know, I think it's okay to be with that, but not listen to it. So I kept maintaining relationship with this guy, built a relationship. And I remember at one point he finally wrote me and he said, considering your genuine desire to serve and everything you've been through, I will press your case. And when this gentleman said, I'll press your case two weeks later, I got this beautiful letter from his holiness with his seal, with his signature that we've now framed up in the house. And I mean, I didn't even ask for a forward. I just asked for like a one line endorsement and I was blessed with a forward. So just a huge honor, as you can imagine, <laughs> it's been a game changer for the book too. Oh, I would imagine that that's incredible, <laughs> man. I mean, I can only imagine there, there had to be so much fear involved with that. I mean, mm-hmm. I get afraid of, of sharing podcast episodes with my, my relatives, much less reaching <laughs> out to the Dalai Lama. Um, and, and the, the thing that I think really strikes me the most, and it, of course it's the intended result is the Dalai Lama isn't going to put their endorsement on something that isn't of high quality. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the book? What is, what is Firvana? Sure. So I define Firvana as the state of bliss that results from engaging our fears to pursue our own worthy struggle. So what I mean by that is we all have a worthy struggle. It's playing chess, writing movies, running marathons, climbing mountains, building a business, hosting a podcast, whatever it may be, raising a child, like it could be anything. And I like to call it a worthy struggle. Not, I don't like to use that word passion because often people say, follow your passion and things will be, you know, all sunshine and rainbows. And it absolutely is not, as you know, like building a business, it's, it's really hard, but that's not a bad thing. So this idea of fearvana, it's these two seemingly contradictory ideas, right? Fear and nirvana. Fear is supposedly, it's framed as the, the antithesis of bliss, of enlightenment, but what I've come to learn through research, as well as a lot of life experience in, in some pretty intense environments, that fear is an access point to bliss. It's the pathway to enlightenment itself. And this idea of fear of ultimately is about helping people do three things. It's helping people find their worthy struggle, live that worthy struggle, and enjoy the process because struggle is not a bad thing. It's actually a beautiful thing when you change your relationship to it. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. So let, let's get practical here. Um, how, give us your top three pieces of advice. If you run into somebody randomly on the street and they're like, Hey, actually, like I'm a huge fan. Um, I'm really struggling with finding my worthy struggle. What is the top three things you'd recommend to them? In terms of the context of finding the worthy struggle, so here's what I would recommend. I would ask you to start looking from a point of a lifestyle, because if, if you're kind of old enough to speak and everything, you have some frame of what you're, of the world, right? You Because we all operate from references. We look at the world around us, we operate from references. So what is a lifestyle you want to create for yourself? What is so far has appealed to you? Once you work back from the end result, from the lifestyle, then you pick a quote unquote job. And I say quote unquote, because it could be like mountaineering and that's clearly not a job, right? I mean, it, in the traditional sense. So you pick a job that is in line with that lifestyle. And then you start experimenting. You find people who have done it before and you find out what they did, how they did it. And you got to be patient in the process. You got to realize it's going to be hard. So don't expect easy, nothing worthwhile in life ever is, is easy. So in terms of that one part, the one section of finding the struggle, it'd be work backwards from an end result. What's the lifestyle you want to create? What's the job that fits that lifestyle? What and then find somebody who's done it, and then start sort of. They say it's the fourth step: is start embarking upon it, not expecting easy. And that's that. That last part is very important because people we live in a world that expects easy. That we, you know we always want for the easiest, fastest way out. And as a result, we're not patient with ourselves, which is why we bounce around from idea to idea. So when you say, "Okay, this is where I'm going to go," commit to it. Like commit to the grind and say, "I'm going to." you know, go into writing a book was brutally hard, you know, three years it took me, but, but you got to commit to that thing. 
And then, and then if, you know, years later or months, this is really not for you, then you can restart the process, but work backwards from the end result you want to create in terms of finding your struggle and like living that struggle and smiling. It is different steps as well. Support for this episode comes from Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, and vegetarians get lower rates on their life insurance. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance. Honestly, that's the way it should be. Why shouldn't you receive lower rates for all the work you do being health conscious? It's not easy to get up every day and go to the gym. It's not easy to eat healthy every single day. The world makes it easy to not be health conscious. So why shouldn't you be rewarded for the work that you put in? Well, with Health IQ, you can. In fact, 56% of Health IQ customers save between 4 and 33% on their life insurance. That's crazy. 4 and 33%. And they can make that happen because health conscious individuals have 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and a 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to people who are inactive. So, If all this sounds awesome to you and you want to see if you qualify, head over to healthiq.com slash tiny leaps right now. That's healthiq.com slash tiny leaps to take a quick quiz and see whether or not you qualify for amazing price savings on your life insurance. Health IQ is changing the game when it comes to life insurance and they may be able to help you save as well. So head over to healthiq.com slash tiny leaps right now to take their quick quiz and see if you qualify. Support for this episode comes from 5-Hour Hustle. 5-Hour Hustle is my new program where I'm going to show you, take you by the hand, step by step, and show you my proven process for taking your skills, your knowledge, and experiences and turning them into an extra income without having to quit your job or ask for a raise or any of those things that you may not want to do. 5-Hour Hustle is going to be my complete program on the subject. It's something I've been doing uh, successfully for about five years now, and I've broken it down to a step-by-step system of what matters and what does not matter. And in this course, I'll give you all of it. If you're interested in learning more, just head over to gregclunas.com slash side hustle. That's gregclunas.com slash side hustle. I'll talk to you there. That makes a ton of sense. So uh, let me ask you, because this is something I've personally uh, struggled with is so you identify something that in that moment feels like, you know, this is this is what I want to struggle for. This is the thing. and, And I always say this to the audience that I want to and am willing to sacrifice to create in my Mm -hmm. life. Um, so, so you identify that thing a couple months later, you're maybe second guessing it. How do you determine whether or not you're just second guessing it because you, you don't want to do the hard work or, or any of those things versus it really not being the thing that you should be pursuing. It's, there's no sort of easy way. This is, it's a relentless practice of self-awareness. Practicing that stillness of taking the time to be still with yourself. And I, I know this is not like a sexy answer. I know we want like a hack or, a, or like a tip, but it isn't a hack. Like it's just a relentless process of self-awareness and asking yourself, I mean, you kind of put it, but this is the fundamentally, the most important question you can ask yourself is not, you know, what's the, what's the passion? What's the joy I want it? The more important question is what's the struggle I'm willing 
willing to endure. So, cause here's the thing, if you don't seek out a worthy struggle, life is going to hand you struggle anyway, no matter what. So the question is, is this the struggle I'm willing to endure? And if not, like, I'll give you a quick example. I was working with somebody who wanted to start, wanted, was hating his job and wanted to start a business, right? Now, either path is miserable. You can stay in a job you hate or build a business and you know, it's not easy. And I said, you just got to ask yourself, which struggle is the one you're willing to endure? Because he thought, you know, a lot of times if if I follow my passion, life will be easy. And as soon as as he started looking into starting a business, he realized that it's not going to be easy. And I said, absolutely not. You know? So the question is, what struggle are you willing to endure? And then commit to it and then you gotta, you gotta at some point say, is this me quitting? Is this me, you know, is this just me finding a way out? And that's just a matter of self-awareness, like relentlessly practicing that. I mean, I'm always stepping outside myself saying, is this who I want to be? Is what I'm doing in service of myself for for the world? I've gone through, I mean, you know a little bit about my story, but I've gone through a lot to get to the point that I now know exactly what I want to be, who I want to be, what I want to do for the world. But it wasn't overnight by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, um, one, one quick thing, and then I want to dive back into that framework you outlined for us earlier, but, uh, what is, what would you identify as your worthy struggle? So for me, it's helping people find their own worthy struggle and enjoy the process. That's it's, that's my entire world is helping people find their struggle and then enjoy the process because that's the the biggest reason I wrote this book. And my, I mean, cause often I think the best, a good way to start a business and start a brand. I think we kind of talked about this when we met is what are you angry about with the world? And a big thing that angry, angry, me about the world is our relationship to emotions like fear, stress, anxiety, struggle, adversity. I mean, when people say that, it's not the, the connotation is, is a negative. Everything I've learned in my life is these are not negative things. So helping people actually reframe that because when we do, like you said, fear is the number one thing that stops people. So when you actually address that core element, it helps people transform their lives in, in truly beautiful ways. And I've been blessed to see that since the book launched. So that's, that's kind of my own worthy struggle now. And that's huge. And I actually think that's a, that's a really great question is, you know, what are you angry about? And uh, just as a personal example there, this is the fourth podcast I've hosted. And, um, the other shows that I launched, like they did fine. Uh, they, they existed for as long as they did, but, um, nothing ever really resonated. Nothing was, was that enjoyable for me to, to create in it. And, um, the commonality between them, is actually the one thing this show doesn't have in common is that I started this show specifically because I was angry with the state of personal development. I felt like there was a lot of dangerous information and not enough practicality. And and so I created a show that focused purely on the practicality. And sure enough, the minute I used my own emotion and the things I was, was angry about as the catalyst for what I wanted to create, all of a sudden it, it took off and, and it connected with people and it, it solved problems and it offered value. And, and so to the listener, the reason I'm, I'm going on this tangent is I just want you to recognize that the things you feel emotional about are likely the things other people feel emotional about and, and will have a connection to. So, so definitely use that as your starting point for figuring out the worthy struggle and figuring out what it is you want to do. Love your story. I do remember us talking about that and it's absolutely true. And then, then like you, like, like you just did, you know, you committed and building to it. You know, there's that great book. Sorry, just a quick side note. What you're saying to add to the steps that we talked about earlier is, you know, Cal Newport wrote the book so good. They can't ignore you. And that's really what it's about. Once you seek this path, it's about then committing to the struggle and saying, I'm going to get so good that nobody can ignore me. Right. (laughs) And again, it won't, it won't be easy, but that's, and references. So as I mentioned, like finding other people around you who have done it, surrounding yourself with those references and then committing yourself to say, I'm going to get so good. And clearly you've done it with the, with the success you've generated with this podcast. So 
good on you, man. Love it. <laughs> Definitely something I'm trying to do. And uh, just for those of you listening who are fans of Cal, uh, episode 258, he was my guest. So definitely check that out after this episode. Um, so actually, let's 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 bring this back. So uh, you identified three things earlier. You said it's it's finding your worthy struggle. What was the second? Is living that struggle. So that's the process of walking that path. Living that struggle, the day-to-day grind, the, the work, I'm guessing, that, that comes with that. Uh, give us a little bit of context here. How, how do we navigate that grind? Because it can get hard, right? It, it's, it's challenging and, and difficult, and there's a million opportunities to be thrown off. Got you, got you. Yeah, so I'll first talk about a little bit about living that, and then we can get to sort of in how do you enjoy the process. So once you've decided this is the path, that's and you found somebody, okay, this is what they've done, how do I do it? And this is not say like you gotta they become a context but you can always break those limitations so once you have that then it's about taking an action like you you reduce the goal so let's say for example for me it's i'll I'll give my context right running i mean writing let's put the context of writing this book or running is also my big thing but writing so i studied authors like tim ferris and jack canfield the chicken soup for the soul author of how do you write a good book and then i figured out what it takes i built out some frameworks like story point action for example including stories so you reducing the the context of that struggle into one into smaller specific steps and then you're taking those steps and of course those steps are hard so it's what i call in the book is i have in in one chapter is like the sort of the experience of fear so it's a conscious assessment of the risk and the fear before the action so what is the risk you're you're preparing for the fear that you know nobody's going to like this book is this book going to be garbage all that fear is there, but you, you're not running away from it. You're being with it because then it allows you to say, okay, I'm scared of these things. Let me address that fear. Then I studied from Jack. Then I created clearly defined goals, like specific goals. Okay. How do I set the framework for the book? Let me outline it. Once you do that, then you start taking steps and you keep getting feedback. Now in things like running feedbacks may, or like external activities, feedback might be a little easier. Like if you're building a business, you get feedback from clients. In this case, that feedback is a little bit more internal because it's writing. But at the same time, I did get outside feedback. I shared my book with readers like the introduction man it took me i can't tell you how much you know you mean you're working on stuff but like how many edits it went through to get to that right introduction because it kept saying is this the good one and intro is obviously a key part right so getting that ex getting that external feedback and then adapting and and adapting and moving on to the next step so all growth is ultimately two things it's find what's working do more of it find the problem fix the problem so it's a relentless practice of those two things those two th- things at work so essentially you're take exercising awareness to take action then you then you the, the, this is an essential part because often we take the action and then we just kind of keep taking action but you're regaining awareness from that action so there's a reflection point where you're getting that sort of reflection from this action what worked what did not work then let me react like to take the reaction and keep evolving that way so i mean right now as, as we talk i'm struggling with some injury with my running so i'm okay this didn't work what's the problem and i'm doing a lot more yoga doing a lot more stretching to try to fix that problem right so it's a relentless practice of saying here's what's working let me do more of it and here's what's not let me fix it i absolutely love that uh and and it makes it such a a clear framework that i think uh, most people can can follow through with let me ask you what um and this this i think seems to come up a lot for people as part of that fear 
what do you tell people that say, okay, you know what? I found my worthy struggle, but I just can't find the time. That's, I mean, I, I don't mean to be rude here. It's, it's a, it's a little bit of a cop out <laughs> because if you do, if you do a time audit, like if you take your, like in literally a time audit, you sit down, you map out. And I did this with myself. Like I would track up to 20 plus 24 hours of my day on a time tracker. I mean, I, I went anal with it. I would actually track if I'm in the bathroom, like where's my time going? And you will be surprised where, that time is like where you're actually not a lot of times we feel like we're busy, but activity is not action, right? Like it just being busy and in activity is not conscious action. So a good way is to actually go, go get detailed, go do a time audit, find out exactly where your time is going. And let's say, you know, it really is a lot. Then it's a matter of priorities. I mean, it's, it's, is saying, is this struggle, which ultimately which struggle am I willing to endure? Right. Is it the struggle of this other thing or this other thing, you know, like, or this thing that I want to build. And then, then it's just, you know, matter of you making that choice because ultimately in life, there's only two things we can change. Like, I think life is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. So there's only two things we can change. We can change our actions or our attitude or both. And at any moment in time, you get to decide which one you want to change. Sometimes we don't have the luxury of changing our actions. If you know, are in the war zone or something like that, like when I was in Iraq, you know, I didn't have the luxury. I had to do what I had to do. And officers told me to do it. So all I could do was change my attitude in this world. Like if anybody's listening to this and you're not being shot at or something like that, you often have the luxury to change both to some degree. Not always. Like if you got, you know, single mom raising kids, like, you know, then, then it's not, though by no means don't mean to say it's easy. So, but when you look at it in that way and say, out of these two things, what can I change? Then it simplifies the process to say, okay, what can I do from this? Right. Absolutely. Now, actually, you you just touched on something that uh, I, I definitely want to dive into here. Um, so you told me this story a little bit from the stage at at PodFest, but uh, you you briefly mentioned your your yeah, veteran, I did six right? years in the Marines, one tour in Iraq. So, um, tell me a little bit about how you came to to this concept of Firvana, because I know that story is involved. Absolutely, with, with yeah, it's that, very much right? a part of anything that I talk about that I shared in the book as well, all of it, it's very much a part of me. So fear of honor came about, I mean, through this journey. So when I moved to the U S at 13 from India and Singapore, I got into drugs pretty heavily soon after that lost two friends to drug addiction. And I was very much headed down that path, but thankfully I found a way out. I got into the Marines. Two doctors actually told me Marine Corps bootcamp would kill me because of a blood disorder I have. And I was born with, but obviously I survived, thankfully made it out and, and thrived. And those experiences started to teach me the value of struggle because I had great parents, like giving me everything. The drug thing was, you know, not because I was running away from an abusive hole or anything like that, like great parents. But when I joined the Marines, I suddenly started, I sought out struggle and I found tremendous growth in it. So in the time, when, once I got like out of boot camp and infantry school, I started pushing myself in other environments. I went mountain climbing, cave diving, skydiving, rock climbing, ice diving. I mean, you kind of name it. Nature became my playground to test myself. And then in 2007, I was deployed to Iraq where, as I said, I struggled. First two months out there, I was miserable, like hated my life, hated the everything, hated everything about it. And then I realized that I can sit here and complain, but I still had five months on the deployment or I could change my attitude. And I did. And by the end of the war, I actually wrote in my journal that I'm really going to miss this place. So I learned to find peace in that war, you know, but then when I came back, that was actually the toughest thing I've probably been through was when I got back from the war, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, struggled with alcohol, drank myself to the point that I considered taking my own life. And that moment, I, can, I, I kind of considered the true birth of Fearvana because when I was on that couch 
thinking about taking my own life. I mean, it shocked me that I would even think that like that, that was not part of my self identity and who I was. So immediately I said, something needed to change. I began researching neuroscience, psychology, spirituality, read like hundreds of books. And that led me to this concept of fear of Vana initially just to heal my own brain, but as a, in a deeper quest to say, how do we all live happier and meaningful lives? Because of course I'm not the only one suffering in some way. Right. And so kind of combining with the rest of my life experience, touching on the research with that, it, ta- it made me realize that everything I've done in my life that was worthwhile was terrifying and was hard. You know, <laughs> it wasn't easy or sitting on a couch and watching a movie and not, not to say anything wrong with that. Of course, there's time for that. But the point is like, that's what I realized. And that's what led mm-hmm. me to fear Vana. Got it. Have you found that, um, this, this process and, and well, I'm sure the journey itself has helped, but have you found that, that this new approach to, to thinking has helped you deal with those issues? Like, like Very PTSD? Much so. you know, I, that's why I often say, you'll hear me say in interviews that I don't have PTSD, but I was diagnosed with PTSD because I've come to learn through this process that post-traumatic stress is not indicative of a disorder you know, because I'm jumpy when there's a loud noise after the war to this day, I'm more vigilant. Like I know a lot of people work in coffee shops. I can't because I'm on edge looking at people, you know, I, I have to work on my own. So, but I realized that I don't care. That's not something it's not, doesn't mean I have a disorder. It's a, these are normal human responses to war or any other trauma people go through. When we go through it, these, it's a normal human response. It doesn't mean it's a disorder, but by attaching the label of disorder, we, we, we go into it, this downward spiral of self-identity. You know, I have veterans that I've worked with one guy who like the same thing, he was diagnosed and this, this, he went to a therapist and said, anger is just a choice. You need to stop being angry. And, and then he started associating himself as this self identity. And I said, no, man, anger is not a choice. You've just built a pattern that you don't control anymore, but these are all normal human responses. When you let go of that self identity, you can accept what is, and then choose consciously to do something about it. So it was a game changer for me. And, and in terms of how I view myself, that there's nothing wrong with this response, you know, and I share more stories from people who suffered way more than me, like this woman who was raped at a young age and, you know, just, gang raped again at 15 and how she turned her trauma into something beautiful. And now she's successful professionally, personally, like amazing woman and all kinds of people like that, because these, the, the struggle after such awful experiences is not a bad thing or a disorder. It's a human experience. You know, you don't have to make it mean something awful. It just is. And then you get to do something with it. And it strikes me that because I mean, hearing that story, hearing uh, your story, the, mm-hmm. the story of the woman you just mentioned, uh, I, I find that you hear that sort of thing regularly, right? Like the people who just seemingly go through the mm-hmm. absolute worst of humanity and come out the other side as as more productive, more positive, more just everything, just just these incredible human beings, and and it strikes me that this concept, firvana, just, just using your fear and, and utilizing it as a, a weapon almost to create the thing that you want, to create the life that you actually want. It, it strikes me that that's probably why that happens, right? That's why somebody's able to, to deal with such extremes and come out on the other side as a as an amazing person love the way you put it and it couldn't agree with you more you know post-traumatic growth is such a prevalent part of the human experience but the problem is we don't hear it as much we hear i mean when when you say veteran like even when i'm in the u.s and i tell people i'm a veteran there's this sort of empathy or pity for me and i know it's coming from a place of love so i don't mean to downplay that but the point is there's this idea that that means something wrong with me because that's the expectation that's been set and unless you're exercising that relentless practice of self-awareness you fall into that expectation and you start believing that 
that about yourself, but it's not true. So, I mean, I read a bunch of research on post-traumatic growth and they did studies on 9-11 and all kinds of experiences that like exactly like you said, most people who go through it come out stronger because it builds a new meaning for life, a new respect for the people you love, for your own life. You know, when you taste your own mortality, it gives you a new perspective. And that perspective is a beautiful thing if you allow yourself to see it that way. So totally true, man. And fear is very much, it's, I mean, it's the essential core of that experience of engaging the fear of the trauma itself and then rising through it to be on the other side of it. Absolutely. And I mean, fear in general, if, if we want to look at, so on this show and, and in my upcoming book, I, I talk pretty heavily about mm-hmm. progress and, and humanity's just ingrown desire to consistently make progress and, and, I can't help but think that that that's also coming from fear. It seems to be the the core driver of virtually everything mm-hmm. that we do simply because either we make progress or we get wiped off the face mm-hmm. of the earth yeah. as a species, obviously. And and mm-hmm. so it, it there's just it seems to me that that fear really is one of the biggest and most powerful emotions you can utilize. And as the, the Dalai Lama said on the cover of your book, Virvana inspires us to look beyond our own ag- agonizing experiences and find the positive side of our lives. What, what comes to mind for you hearing that quote, hearing that summation of, of your concept? You know, every time I read it, it's still kind of surreal just seeing his name on the front of the book. Uh, that's, that's definitely there. It is very much surreal. And, you know, the idea, like, uh, that's a great question of that it, turning that agonizing experiences and find meaning in it, you know, finding the positive side of our lives. It is the fundamental core experience of humanity that translates the experience of life into something beautiful. And, you know, when you met, you were talking about progress. It's like another thing that angers me that led to all this quest of Fiervana and now where we're taking it is that we often view progress as this new technology, this new thing that makes our life easier, but is the actual content of our experience any better? You know, I went to Bhutan recently and Bhutan actually doesn't measure GDP. They measure Measure happiness. They measure. They have a, a, a global national, a gross national happiness index. You know, like, are we actually improving our lives with all these things that we're trying to create? And so, if we look at progress from that view, to me, like that quote that the Dalai Lama says on the front of the book is that this idea now that, you know, it's not even mine. It's just like, actually my, my wife coined the word fearvana. And so uh, it was just my, I had been sort of living it. So I now think that we all have this within us. And the idea is that if we improve the content of experience, that is true progress. And the vision for this is that's what I want to help people do is, is you, it's not to say that suffering will ever go away. It won't, but that's, again, that's not a bad thing is the point that I make, you know, I mean, one of the core books of research for my own and just most powerful books ever is Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. You know, he was, for anybody listening that's not familiar, he was a psychiatrist who survived the Holocaust in a concentration camp. I mean, the level of suffering he went through is beyond fathom. Well, no human being should go through that. And he found meaning in that suffering. Like, to do that is just, it represents what humanity is capable of. And I think we can all do that. No matter where our lives are, what we're going through, translating that into something meaningful for ourselves, for in service of our greater human family, that's what that quote means to me. And that's what the vision of what we're trying to do now with Fearvana. Absolutely love it. Actually, this has been an incredible interview. I'm I'm so excited to to get the the tweets and the emails of of people that I I know are walking away from this with immense value. Um, 
are there any final yeah, thoughts the, uh, you want to leave Just one thing I'd like with? to leave anybody listening with to kind of make this into something tangible is the single most important skill you can develop in life is a positive relationship to suffering, to struggle, to fear, whatever you want to call it, use your own words. And this is not just me saying it, research has proven it as well. So the, I invite you to get out there and develop that positive relationship in whatever way, if, you know, go walk a mile, go walk 5k, like do something that doesn't have to be exercised anyway, push yourself a little bit, learn to smile in it. It's just a matter of adopting the play mindset as that sort of that third part of smiling in the face of struggle, just literally choosing to smile and say, this is a beautiful thing. What growth can I find through this? And I promise you, it's not that complicated to, you will find growth. When you ask yourself, how can I enjoy this? What's the growth in this? What's fun about this? You will start to, and you will learn to translate that experience of one struggle into every area of your life. And the entire journey becomes a truly beautiful thing. So that's just what I want to leave anybody with. And, and, and feel free to reach out to me. I respond to all my own emails. Like I genuinely here, here to serve in any way. So always feel free to reach out to me, any questions, anything I can do to serve, I'm here to help. Beautiful. What is your email? Akshay. That's A-K-S-H-A-Y at fearvana.com. Akshay at fearvana.com. Are there any socials that, that we can reach you on as well? Instagram at fearvana. That's, that's the one I'm probably most, most active on. And then Facebook is Akshay Nanavati fan. So Instagram. Perfect. Yeah. And the book is Fearvana. It's available now on Amazon, correct? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. So head over there, check it out. Uh, as I mentioned in the beginning of this interview, uh, this is the next book on my reading list. So I'm looking forward to having a conversation with uh, you guys listening about your experience with the book and my experience with the book. Akshay, thank you so, so much for the the value you've brought for the, the ideas, the the just experiences that, that you've brought to the table. I really, really appreciate it. And I know the listeners do as well. And thank you to the listener for taking the time to spend with us and, and to share with us. I hope that this was valuable to you. If it was, be sure to click that subscribe button. That's the best way to make sure you never miss a new episode. Definitely reach out to Akshay. It's Akshay at Fearvana.com. Definitely connect with him and just let him know what you thought of this episode. Let him know your struggles and, and what positive messages you can pull from your own life. Thank you again for taking the time to listen and remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day. Every day. Every day.